Hi everyone, this is Lee. I'm here with Bob and Jerry. We are One New Man Ministries. We are an Ephesians 2 ministry. And uh, first of all, we want to say Happy New Year to our live audience on Kern FM. And just to let you all know that we missed uh, a new show the last couple of weeks over Christmas and New Year's Eve Sunday. So a belated Merry Christmas and a healthy, happy and blessed new year to all of you are our wishes. We played some reruns of some earlier shows the last two weeks. And so we didn't really get to discuss the last two tour portions of Genesis or Bereshit, uh, sort of summation of the Joseph story. But we are happy to move on and be back in a new year and and talking about the, the Torah, the Word of God together and studying together. And we're in Ephesians 2 ministry because we're a ministry of reconciliation. We really have three missions. One is to spread the good news, the gospel of Yeshua HaMashiach, that's Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to our Jewish brothers and sisters as Messianic Jews. We really have a heart to reach them, very much similar to to Paul's heart in Romans 9. And also we want to unify the body of Christ um, to tear down the dividing wall of hostility. That's why we're an Ephesians 2 ministry. And we study the the Old Testament together with the, the prophets, the Haftor and the New Testament together from a point of view of really discussing the Jewish roots of the gospel and, uh, you know, of, of the apostles and of Yeshua's understanding of the scripture as it was when he knew it back at his time, because that was before we had the vantage point of the New Testament. So as a Ephesians 2.14 says, For he, that is Yeshua, or Jesus Christ, is our peace, who has made both groups one and has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new humanity, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile both to God into one body through the cross, thereby slaying the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So Jerry and Bob, what are we going to talk about today? I want to say good morning to you guys and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, Happy New Year to everybody out there. Uh, It's Great to be back and uh, talking this over with you guys. Uh, Our portion that we're looking at today is the beginning of the book of Exodus. In uh, Hebrew, the name of the book is Shemot, the names, and that refers to the very first verse of the Parsha, which says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob each with his household. So this is a book uh, that tells the story, the great liberation story of the Jewish people from their slavery in Egypt. It is the uh, great analogy to the liberation that we have, uh, of our liberation from sin through faith in Yeshua. It's the outstanding story of God's uh, great leader, Moses, Uh, In the book of Exodus, we will uh, see not only the deliverance of the people from slavery, but we will see God's uh, covenant marriage, as Bob will uh, be going into uh, when we get there, I'm sure. And finally, of course, uh, the book closes out with uh, God's dwelling among men. Uh, The tabernacle is built and God comes to inhabit it. So it's just an extraordinary book. But Lee, I'd like to give you the first word here because this book is uh, not just appearing out of nowhere. Uh, there is a context, and the uh, very first verse takes us back to those last couple of parshas 
in Genesis, and you were talking a little bit about the continuity. So why don't you take that part? Yeah, uh, thanks, Jerry. I think, you know, that we since really didn't get to talk about the end of Joseph's life and Joseph's story with his brothers, you know, and, and that this, the context is we are in the land of Egypt after he's brought his brothers and all of their, uh, uh, you know, wives and they're in the land of Goshen with their cattle and they're going to increase and find favor in the land of Egypt. And, and, you know, then eventually because of that, they, their favor and their, their, their multiplying and being fruitful, they end up being made slaves, which we talk about in Exodus. But I think that the summation of Joseph's experience, you know, is such a good compare and contrast uh, with the, not just what the mental framework was of the people of Israel when they come to Egypt in the beginning of their stay in Egypt, but also Joseph as a person versus sort of Moses as a person in their faith walk, because as, as we sort of remember Joseph and his faith walk, even through all his experiences of you know, being sold into slavery and Potiphar's wife being put in prison and, you know, all of these different experiences. He really demonstrates not just obedience, but a strong faith in God. We see over and over he puts God first. And, and then as we see his life walks out, we see the summation of his sort of looking back at his experience in the end of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says, because this, his brothers come to him after his father Jacob has died, because they're worried now that Jacob's gone, that Joseph is going to exact retribution on them. And he, and he says in 19, and Joseph says unto them, that's unto his brothers, fear not for am I in the place of God? And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day, day to save much people alive. So, you know, Joseph is able to see his place in the salvation story, in the redemptive story of God and his role, and to really have a true heart of forgiveness and a true heart of mercy, and a true heart of gratitude, I think, for his role that he plays in this. And I, I just think it's a beautiful way to sort of, you know, summarize the, the end of the beginning, that is the end of Bereshit, which is the book of Genesis, as we get into Exodus. So thanks for allowing me to share that, Jerry. Yeah. I think you were also talking about how this ties all the way back to Genesis 15. Right. So in Genesis 15, 13, the Lord says to Abram, that's before he's Abraham, he says in Genesis 15, 13, thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. Right. So we can see that God's hand is in this story all the way back there. And at the end of the 400 years, when this is sort of ripe, now Moses appears on the stage. Right. Yeah, I think that's the uh, extraordinary thing about it all is that uh, these people are living their lives out moment by moment. But... <laughs> God has a perspective that is so much wider and broader uh, going all the way back to that declaration to Abram that his, his descendants would, would be enslaved for those 400 or so years. Uh, and now God is, is bringing that to pass in our part of the story as, as we go forward here in Exodus. Uh, that's all kind of encompassed in that uh, one verse that says, then a Pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph, right? 
in, in uh, Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, there arose a new king over Egypt who didn't know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too mighty and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly. Uh, that word shrewdly in my English standard version is often translated treacherously uh, in, some other in some other versions. Uh, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. If war breaks out, they might join our enemies and fight against us. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. So <clears throat> the, the setting immediately goes from this place of uh, being blessed and multiplying in the land of Goshen to suddenly being set upon as, as slaves and put to hard labor. Uh, in verse 13 I did, I, uh, and 14, it says, They ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick. And just as a little note to our Jewish listeners and to uh, everyone else as well, uh, that word bitter there is the word maror. And maror is the name of the bitter herb that we eat at Passover to remind ourselves of the bitter service that our ancestors served in, uh, in Egypt as slaves. So here, here is the connection from that time all the way down to ours, uh, the maror, the bitterness of uh, slavery. <clears throat> and so we have the, uh, the setting then for for what takes place with uh, Moses. Uh, but before we get to Moses, there's this interesting uh, sidebar, if you will. Uh, as, as, the, as the Hebrew population continued to multiply, Pharaoh thought one way to handle it would be to have all of the male children killed. And he enlists the Hebrew midwives, uh, Pua and Shifra, to, uh, he instructs them to save the girl babies alive, but to uh, destroy the males. Uh, they, it says in verse 17, feared God and did, knew, did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So there's, there's this uh, connection, similarity to uh, what Herod did when he learned that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, he sent out his agents to kill all the male children. Here again, there's there's this this attempt to uh, subvert God's plan at a human level by killing babies. Right. Uh, but the the women feared God, and it reminded me of the uh, passages in Acts where uh, Peter and John are commanded by the uh, Sanhedrin the Jewish leaders, not to uh, preach in the name of Jesus. And they said, uh, you'll have to decide whether it is better to obey God or to obey men. And so uh, they, in a similar fashion to these women, feared God more than they feared the edict of the king or the leaders in Peter and John's case, and they obeyed God. Um, when when Pharaoh questions them and they uh, they make up this story about how the Hebrew women are so much more lively and, and uh, physically fit, I guess, uh, that they deliver the babies before they can even get there. Then it says, um, well, the first thing it says is, is that God dealt well with the women and he gave them families. And so God was highly pleased. And so that even in the midst of hardship and trial, uh, God is able to bless his people, right? Amen. Yes. But then it says, uh, because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then, verse 22, Pharaoh commanded all his people. So he kind of uh, sets uh, the Egyptians up as his uh, agents, the, the whole population. It seems to indicate he commanded his people, every son born of the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And so it probably became even more dangerous at that point for uh, the pregnant Hebrew women uh, because now it's not just these two midwives who are on the lookout, but all of Egypt. So uh, we can't really 
completely understand the kind of pressure that they were probably feeling when it says uh, in, in verse two of the next chapter, uh, the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. So the idea that uh, there are people, spies all around, and now at this point uh, on, on the lookout for, for uh, Hebrew male children. So not sure uh, where, where we wanna uh, go exactly at this point. What, what we know from this part of the story is that uh, after three months, it was no longer possible for Moses to be hidden, and his mother, Yoshebed, enlists uh, his, Moses' sister, we know from later in the story, her name is Miriam, uh, to go and uh, put the child in the river. They've made a little basket. It's called an ark in the Hebrew, uh, and of course, there's that uh, symbolic connection it ought to take place in our minds back to Noah's Ark, uh, a place of safety in the middle of, of, of chaos. Um, she puts him in the basket and they put him in the river to see what will happen. And then again, <laughs> here, here's one of those great moments in the Bible. What a coincidence, right? <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, who, who happens to be down at the river just as the basket is floating by but Pharaoh's daughter? Right. Uh, so the princess of Egypt sees the basket, sees the baby, takes pity on it, says, even recognizing this is one of the Hebrews' children, um, you know, it demonstrates a great amount of uh, courage on her part as well as compassion because she knows the edict, what's supposed to happen to this child? Uh, but rather than have him killed, uh, she protects him, uh, again, providentially. Um, Miriam is, is close by, and she says, yeah, should I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child? Uh, you clearly can't take him back to the court like this. You're not able to nurse him, you, you know, whatever the, the, the facts of that matter might be. Pharaoh's daughter says to her, go, and so the girl goes, and Who's going to get to nurse Moses but his very own mother? And so we don't know exactly how long Moses stayed in the care of his family. But we know uh, in verse 9, it says, Pharaoh's daughter said, take the child away and nurse him for me. I'll give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So there's a there's a, a little missing information for us exactly uh, how long it was uh, before he grew up enough for him to be taken to Pharaoh's uh, household. But here's here's what we know from even from Exodus is that there must have been enough training in that family. For Moses, uh, in verse 11, one day he had grown up, went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So Moses, in verse 11, grown up, still demonstrates this extraordinary uh, connection to the Hebrew people. So much so that he intervenes on the behalf of a slave who's being beaten and kills his taskmaster. So that there is some amount of teaching and training that he's received from his parents so that he has this burden for the Hebrew people and what's happening to them that he intervenes in this way. So the, uh, the passage that comes to mind in maybe trying to, 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 to put it all together, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about uh, Moses' parents in this way, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. 
so that they exercise their faith. And this gets back to, you know, they saw that he was a tov, a good child. They saw something in him that God had placed there. We don't know exactly what that is, but there was something distinctive in his birth, in his character, in his personality, even as, a, as an infant that, that uh, is, is, is leading to this kind of faith that they would take uh, the steps to hide him. They were not afraid of the king's edict. So that we see from Hebrews explanation that these were people of deep faith. These were people who uh, recognized their, their uh, legacy from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were uh, committed to transmit that to their child. And whatever amount of time that they had with him before they turned him over to Pharaoh's court, uh, they had transmitted this great Hebrew legacy. Hey, Jerry, can I weigh in on that? So, um, you know, I think it's, you know, what you're bringing up is a great thing to contemplate because, you know, we are all, um, you know, there's this nature nurture debate, uh, you know, what forms us as human beings, but to think about Moses as a character and his formative experiences first with his mother, right? And, and it says the rabbi's comment on this when, you know, he's with his mother, his, his mother must have instilled into him the belief in one God, the creator of heaven and earth, an eternal spirit without any shape or form that the mind of man could devise and imparted to him the sacred traditions of Israel, the story, the story of the fathers of Canaan, of Joseph, and the divine promise of deliverance from Egyptian bondage. And then he goes to the palace, he gets educated in the pharaohs, you know, the highest education available in Egypt there, which is a pretty high degree of education so and then they're trying to indoctrinate uh you know moses into their idolatry right and so he has this incredible internal conflict and i think you know that's really important to try to understand when we think about him going out and seeing you know, the, the uh, Egyptian taskmasters flogging the Hebrew slaves and he kills one of them, you know, and we try to understand why would he react with this, you know, uh, emotional reaction where he's with such hatred or anger or whatever you want to call it, where he kills an Egyptian, you know, but he must have this, sense of justice and injustice so deeply instilled in him it must be an internal conflict in him you know mm -hmm. that has him so wound up you know <laughs> yeah yeah um it's interesting we were talking about this uh how many how many biblical heroes of the faith uh have murder on their resume. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have we have Moses, and we, and we decided that it wasn't murder, it was more like manslaughter since he hadn't premeditated the situation. But Moses kills a man, uh, David kills a man, Paul, it says, was consenting to murder, uh, that whole business. And so again, it tells us that uh, God redeems sinners and it doesn't matter what the sin is, uh, God's grace is greater than all sin. You know, I, I even think that in some ways uh, it's important for us today to recognize this because I remember when I was uh, a pre-believer, <laughs> uh, one of the things that I said about myself, why I didn't think I needed a savior was I wasn't so bad. I hadn't killed anybody. And when you think about it, that's what most people say. Well, I haven't killed anybody. Right. I said I said the same thing, Jerry. Same <laughs> so, thing. So so if, if we if we set haven't killed anybody up as, as as the standard, here's 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 the fact. Even if you do kill someone, God's grace can save you. 
Amen. Right. Well, yes. and, and and I think you know that if we we have the vantage point of seeing Moses, what Moses becomes and what he represents to the Jewish people, and what he and what he represents to the world and to humanity, you know, Amen. throughout history, he represents justice. So, yes. so God has you know, over these 400 years of slavery, he is work, God's working some plan. And I think we get some glimpses into that plan, into what he says about Pharaoh and how Pharaoh becomes hard hearted. And, you know, and, and he sort of distills this evil, if you were, well, mm -hmm. in, the, in Pharaoh, but he also distills this incredible sense of justice and injustice represented in Moses and in Moses's life and in, and in Moses's, you know, proclamation to the world. I mean, God's right. proclamation to the world through Moses and the Ten Commandments and, you know, uh, you know, God's mm -hmm. plan is working out that he there, said all the way back to Abram, right? Yeah. There, there, there's no minimizing the impact in the Western world uh, of, uh, of Moses. I mean, he is uh, still uh, pictured in the uh, Supreme Court building right above the justices. Yes. It's, it's Moses who's there. So... Um, the the uh, the place that uh, he has uh, in in Jewish uh, minds is, is certainly well deserved, uh, but we understand looking at it, it's not Moses himself, but God's work in and through Moses that Moses was called to this task that God God has has given to him. Um, and you know, and you know, Jerry, it really, when you think about the Jewish conception of justice and that it goes back to Genesis because God has created in the image of man that every human being has inherent internal dignity and the consequences of slavery stripping that dignity from human beings mm -hmm. and the internal dissonance that he must feel between this sense of what justice is because it is derived from God and the injustice being perpetrated uh, through slavery on his people. I think it really shows us why he's reactive and the depth of his motivation, you know, and, right. and yeah. right. you know, but, but I, what I like about it is that um, God uses all these experiences, negative and positive with Moses to shape Moses, you know, to, to prepare him what he's about to become, which is, you know, like, like the, the father of the old Testament, you know, I mean, he is, and there's nothing in writing right now as, as we are reading these scriptures, but in, in a few years from now, it will all be in writing and the law will be delivered. So all this is, right. is, is preparatory to what Moses right. will become and what he will accomplish. So when we look at the life of Moses, we, we are told that he died at 120 years old. And uh, traditionally, his life is broken down into three 40-year periods, right? Right. Uh, the first 40 years are concluding right here. Uh, when he goes out and he kills the Egyptian, the story goes on that the next day he finds two, two uh, Hebrews arguing amongst themselves and he tries to intervene uh, at a much less drastic level. <laughs> right. Uh, he tries to be a peacemaker here and they look at him and say, well, who made you to be a judge over us? Uh, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And it says that he became afraid uh, and thought, surely the thing is known. So uh, fearing for his life, he flees and stays in the land of Midian. In the land of Midian, he uh, 
when he, when he goes there, uh, he comes to a well. Uh, and isn't it interesting uh, how, how frequently wells play these prominent roles in uh, people coming together and meeting uh, <clears throat> uh, because water, water is life out there in the desert, right? Right. And so he, come, he comes to a well and there's shepherds there. Uh, and Moses, uh, Moses uh, watches over these girls who, who come to water their sheep. He, uh, the shepherds have probably given them a hard time. He drives them away. He waters the sheep. They go back and tell their father uh, that uh, this Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. Uh, and dad says, uh, bring him back here. And uh, it says uh, down in verse uh, 20 of chapter 2, call him that we may eat bread. So there's that uh, figure of hospitality and uh, communion, if you will. Uh, let's let's join forces with this fellow. Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah, and she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, "I will have been, I have been a stranger, a sojourner in a foreign land." And isn't that an interesting name? Going all the way back to Genesis 15, doesn't God tell Abram that his children will be strangers in a foreign land? Is yes, so Very much so. Yeah, so so this is the beginning then of the second forty-year stage of Moses' life, and he'll be out in this area of Midian. Uh, we'll learn pretty soon that it is in the uh, area of Mount Sinai that he he is uh, spending these forty years taking care of flocks and sheep and uh, getting to know the land. Uh, and then the final 40 years uh, begin with his call to go back to Pharaoh and demand that Pharaoh let the people go. And that initiates the final 40-year phase of his life where uh, he has the confrontation with Pharaoh. The people are delivered. He leads them through the wilderness uh, all the way to the end of Deuteronomy over those 40 years. So... <clears throat> The, the 40 years in the middle uh, get some pretty short play, really. Uh, it's kind of all captured in chapter 2, verses 23 and 24 and 25. And so while Moses is out there tending the sheep, things are getting worse and worse for the Jewish people back in Egypt. It says, during those many days, many days is the 40 years, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And this is the part that just really grabs me. So their slavery is getting worse and worse. They're crying out to God, and they're probably thinking, you know, we've been totally abandoned. Where is God when it hurts, right? I mean, right. we still have people saying that to one another today, to ourselves even. You know, how can this be happening? Where's God? Why isn't he doing anything? But here's what it says about God. Verse 24, God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. That is just such an extraordinary set of verbs uh, that God does hear us when we call. This idea that he remembers his covenant is a word that signifies not that uh, he suddenly remembered something he had forgotten, but rather that the time for action, the time to act upon this situation has come. And remember, he told Abram, uh, your people are going to be strangers in the strange land for this amount of time. Uh, you know, when Hannah prays for uh, a child, it says God remembered her. So that at that time, he acted in her behalf. Uh, it is like when Mary prays uh, in, in the Magnificat, in that great prayer, uh, that the Lord visited his people. 
this is the moment that God acts. And it reminds me then of what Paul wrote, that at just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, made of flesh, into the world to redeem his people, right? So this is the time. I mean, people talk about kairos moments, right? Right. Uh, th th this, is, this is the kairos moment for, for uh, Israel to be delivered. And this is the process that God is going to, to use, uh, having heard his people, remembering his covenant, seeing and knowing their situation. He's getting ready to call a man. Yeah. Right. right. And, and, you know, the, the beautiful thing about that is that because, you know, this idea that God, God is the provider because he can see ahead what we need and mm. he prepares for what we need. And he's already prepared Moses for this time to lead them into, you know, redemption, to redeem a people for himself, you know. And he's yeah. already prepared Moses to be, you know, the, the advocate for justice that, that has carried on into this world until now. It's incredible. It is. Yeah, so he, he has been prepared by his parents' training. He's been prepared now by these 40 years of uh, caring for sheep in the desert. And uh, he'll have an opportunity to care for human sheep in just a little while in the desert, right? Right. So and, he, and, he has, and he was prepared by his education in the palace. I mean, we yeah. don't know what he learned about language and laws and history and everything but he learned a lot, you know. Sure, he did. Yeah. He learned yeah. enough to he learned enough to approach Pharaoh. Yeah, you know, get to yeah. the channels there. Yeah, yeah. So, so the uh, call of Moses uh, begins is initiated with this burning bush. Hmm. And uh, the burning bush occurs. You gotta. Uh, talk about where it happens because a lot of people don't know this. Well, it says that he was uh, with his flock on the west side of the wilderness uh, at Horeb, uh, the mountain of God. And Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. Right. So he is right. in the place where in just a few months, uh, he'll he'll be again uh, to receive the the uh, the law from God, but here he is uh, in that in in that uh, wilderness at that mountain, and the uh, God appears to him in the midst as a flame of fire in the midst of a bush, and seeing that the bush was burning but not consumed, and that's a really powerful picture, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, in one place, it says our God is a consuming fire. But here, he is a fire that burns but doesn't consume. And I think that somewhere in there is a mystery of uh, the life of God in us. Uh, that he wants to uh, live in us that there is a, a burning away of our old man that's that's in process, uh, but we are not being consumed in the sense that the fire continues in the new man that he's creating. Mm, good point, Jerry. Love you know, that. that's, that's, that's the other thing that, that I have read and, and, and it's, it's always stuck with me is that uh, we see that the burning bush is something supernatural and something spectacular and miraculous and out of the ordinary. But the biblical picture of nature is not that nature is God or that God is in the trees, but each piece of nature is a reflection of his creation 
his creativity and uh, a reflection of, of God's presence. God is present in all of the places where we see nature, if I could put it that way. He's not in the tree, per se, like the tree God, or he's not in the river like a river God, but the river is his creation and he is present there. Right. We understand it that way. And so somebody once said, if we have the eyes and the faith to see, every bush is burning. You know, it, it is the idea, where can we go to flee from your presence? Psalm 139, there is no mm -hmm. place. And so if we understand that about everywhere we go, that really every place our foot goes is holy. Mm. And we can train ourselves to be so aware of God's presence that wherever we are, that is a holy place because God is there, right? Good point. But here's, the, here's, here's this bush and it's burning and Moses draws aside and, and uh, Moses, Moses, the, the God calls him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he says, here I am. But before you get to that, but I want to read the few verses before that because it sort of confirms what you're saying about Moses's ability to see the spirit there because he he sees in verse two the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed in verse three and Moses said I will turn aside now and see this great sight why the bush is not burned so it's a it's a miracle it's supernatural but he could have ignored it and not turned aside and then for him, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. So he had to see it. He had to recognize it. He had to turn aside. And when he made those actions, then God reached out to him and said, Moses, Moses. Good point. That's, that's, that's really a good observation. So there's something there for us to see in our own lives. We have to recognize God's presence, God's uh, activity, and turn aside ourselves, determined to, to see, well, what is God doing here? <laughs> and then God speaks to us. That's good. You know, Jerry, what I, what I like about Moses's life, even up this point and beyond, God's using his past experiences to prepare him for what's coming. I mean, he he now knows the way to back to Egypt. And when he fled from Egypt to Midian, uh, that's exactly where God wanted him to be. That's where Mount Sinai is. So sometimes, you know, we can look back on our own lives. You know, did I take a left turn back there? And not necessarily so. It's it's God's sovereignty in our lives that even if we make a wrong turn, he can use that wrong turn to fulfill his purpose in our lives. And I think he's did that same thing with Moses. I mean, you, you see it all the way through his life that he, even though his, the standard of living of his earthly life went, that went down, he accomplished God's purposes. Well, it says in Hebrews that he turned his back on the wealth of the treasures of Egypt. Right. Counting the sufferings, uh, counting the sufferings of being with God's people, a greater reward. Yes, and then the second forty years of his life, he's you know he's with his father-in-law tending sheep, kind of in a humbling mode, I guess, for the next forty years. And then the last forty years, he's walking in the desert with the Israelites. Mm -hmm. So I mean, you know, we all have a purpose to go in God's life, and we we fulfill it. I think. Uh, the best we can and the best that God knows how to use us. Right. And you know, that, that in my mind always takes me back to uh, Romans eight twenty eight. 28. Right. Uh, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that ties directly to where we started today with Joseph saying, you meant it for evil, but God intended good. Yes. Right. That, that, you know, our, our fallback position in faith always needs to be whatever is happening is happening under the providential care of a hearing, seeing, knowing, loving God. Right? Bingo. Absolutely, Jerry. Good. Well said. 
I mean, that, that, that's, that's what we have in those verses at the end of chapter two. It looks so dark and dire if you're, if you're a Hebrew slave, right? Right. But if we could only peel back heaven and see what God is doing at the same time, the perspective changes. Hmm. Right? Right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so Moses says, you know, he calls to Moses and he says, here I am. Uh, that's that great Hebrew word, uh, uh, hineni. Hineni, here I am. And uh, we see uh, Isaiah said that uh, in Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, Samuel said it when God called to him in the night, here I am. And so Moses, uh, this, this is the standard standard uh, uh, word for here I am, Hineni, here I am. And when, when, uh, when God reveals himself, he says, I'm the God of your father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. So there is a proper fear of the Lord that is, is, is demonstrated to him. Uh, you wonder what came flooding back to him at that moment about his early childhood training from his mother, right? They, they had told him about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now here he was in that God's presence. And that was a pretty awesome moment and awe in that old-fashioned sense of that word, right? Awe, you know, right. uh, real fear to, to, to look at God. But God is so gracious. I have seen, he, he says, I've seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. So here's God telling Moses uh, directly face to face what God revealed to us in the story just a little bit earlier that Moses wasn't privy to until now. At all this time, when it didn't look like God was doing anything, God was on the case. He's seeing, he's hearing, he's knowing. And now is the time, he says, I have come down to deliver them. Right? Yes. Now's the time, Moses. And that word deliver uh, literally means to snatch out of, to snatch them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to the land, good and broad, flowing with milk and honey. And then he lists off all of the different nations uh, that are currently there. Uh, these are the people that God told to Abraham, their iniquity was not yet full. So that uh, when the Israelites do come out, they are going to learn to serve God uh, in worship, but they are also going to be God's instrument of judgment against sinful nations. Right. Right. And that as a as a a, a messianic sort of prophecy or perspective, you know, when when as this as a pattern of salvation. You know, when they're crying out and they are crying for to, you know, be saved, what does God do? He says in eight in, in three eight, and I and I am come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it shows that God isn't, you know, separated. From us isn't unwilling to come down into the earthly affairs to save us, and that is what he does in Yeshua. Amen. Yeah, beautiful. And even that sense of coming down. Uh, who 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 is he who descended, uh, but him who was first in heaven, right? And so Yeshua comes down also to deliver his people. And yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful. Uh, typology that we see already taking place. And of course, Moses is a type of uh, Yeshua. He is an example or a shadow of uh, the ministry that Yeshua will have <clears throat> in leading the people, in, in bringing justice, in setting us free, most of all from the slavery of sin, right? Yes. Yeah. The... Uh, it's a, this is more of a physical, you know, right. being released from slavery, whereas Yeshua is the spiritual release from the slavery of sin. Right, exactly. So he says in verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. 
What happens next, though, is something that I find very interesting. Uh, Moses objects. Moses, who said Hineni at the beginning, is less than willing to say, here I am, like Isaiah said, here I am, send me, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, Moses here in chapter 3, verse 11, begins to object. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And... I think that's a very natural response that um, many of us have when given an assignment. Uh, even sometimes if, if we have uh, uh, a secular work assignment, you know, so all of a sudden we're given a big responsibility and our, our first inclination is, I, I don't think I'm up to this. <laughs> Who am I? And for sure, when God gives you a task uh, bigger than you could imagine for yourself, you say, are you sure? Who am I? But I love God's response. He says, I will be with you. Mm. I will be with you. So that, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? It says in the New Testament, right? Right. So that's 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 our hope when 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 we are are overwhelmed by our own. Uh, feelings of insignificance, our feelings of inadequacy. God says, I'm with you. That's, that's so good, Jerry. And, and, and we can't do it in our own will. It's, it's when our will is aligned with his will that he can mm -hmm. use us. Yes. Yes. And God says, I, I will give a sign to you that I am with you. And this is what's weird, though. The sign is somewhere in the future. And so it's calling Abraham, Abraham, it's calling Moses to a measure of faith here. It says, here's the sign. When you bring out the people of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So the sign that I'm with you is that one day you're going to come back to Sinai, to this place, and all the people are going to be with you. And, you know, and, and course, that's, that, that and that's is what happened. And that's, that's where, incredible. That but is that's incredible. Not, but but yeah, that's where that's God is. Go ahead, Bob. No, that's where God introduces himself to that man on that mountain to, mm -hmm. to the nation of Israel. So this is a very much a, a landmark place that, yes. that's being prepared for the for the nation of Israel. Yes. Yes. So so Moses says, OK, you'll be with me. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? In other words, who, who are you? And God tells Moses, I am who I am. The Hebrew is, asher I am who I am. Uh, it is built on the Hebrew verb haya, to be, the verb of existence, the verb of being. I am pure being. I am existence itself. Uh, without me, nothing exists kind of idea. Uh, you'll tell them that uh, uh, I am who I am. Uh, say this, that I am, Ehiah, has sent you. Again, the verb form. And then he says, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers. And that's that uh, four-letter name of God that is sometimes pronounced Yahweh. Uh, Hebrew speakers will say Hashem here. Uh, in the English Bibles, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But that is the personal name of God built off of that verb of existence. So uh, he says these three different ways of naming himself. Ehiyah, Asher, Ehiyah, I am who I am. Then just Ehiyah, I am. And then finally, Yahweh, the personal name built on that idea. Existence, life, being, the the sustainer of the universe. That's who I am. Can you count on me? <laughs> yes. Really? And, and 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 you know, um this idea of I am is it reminds me of this, you know, in Revelations where he at the end of 
the story, he's going to make all things new. And it's mm-hmm. not a, a new that then becomes old. It's a new that is renewing and is always new. And it, and it, and it makes sense that if he, if he is I am, they're the eternal present, that when we ultimately are taken up and we are in spirit, we will also be in that renewing, renewing, you know, it's, it, it makes sense mm-hmm. to me. Yes. Yes, 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 for sure. <clears throat> um, and you know, the, that- the, the other thing about the, the, the name, his name, when he says, this is my name forever. And this mm-hmm. is my memorial unto all generations memorial there as we've talked about you know quite a bit in our other shows ends up being a recurring theme that moses brings up to them remember remember memorial it's you it's your name it's your power it's who you are do it for you not for me (laughs) right right so this section launches uh 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 a, a, a statement by God uh, about how Moses is to go back and gather the elders and explain how uh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, has appeared. Uh, he he wants Moses to tell them that that they have been seen by God through this whole time and that uh, I promise in verse 17 that I will bring you up out of affliction to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, etc., the land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Yahweh, the Lord, Hashem, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to uh, Hashem, our God. But I know, this is God talking to Moses, at that point I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do. After that, he'll let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. When you go, you shall not go empty, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They'll give you their silver, their gold jewelry. You shall put them on your sons and you shall plunder the Egyptians. So God summarizes the next few months right here for for what Moses is going to experience. And then it says, God said, Uh, or Moses, after this 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 revelation from God about all that he intends to do, still says, what if they don't believe me? So he's still objecting to his mission, right? What if they don't believe me? Uh, what if they won't listen to my words? And God says, um, what's in your hand? And he has his staff. He says, throw it down. And the staff became a serpent. Uh, Moses was afraid, but God says, reach out and grab it. And he takes it and he he says, uh, it turns back to a snake. He reaches into his chest. He pulls it out. It is leprous as uh, white as snow. He puts his hand back in his chest and it comes out clean again. He says, perform these signs. So we're, we're kind of running out of time here and it's unfortunate. But the point of, of this is Mo- Moses continues to object. And God continues to, to, uh, to uh, give him reasons why those objections don't add up to anything. But remarkably, God doesn't really get angry with Moses until the very end. In verse 13, he says, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. No. And I don't want to leave on a negative note because Moses does go. But it's good for us to remember that even these heroes of faith are men with feet of clay. Yes. And as great a man as Moses is, uh, he still was uh, a sinful person who needed the deliverance of God. I think we're going to have to wrap it up right there. I want to say to our listening audience, You know, Moses was a mighty man. It says that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. He saw God. uh, God says, there's nobody else I have like Moses, a man with whom I speak face to face. But he needed deliverance. He needed redemption. 
He looked forward to Messiah. And that's what we want to invite you right now. If you don't know Messiah, would you pray this prayer with me? If you're ready to repent and to have a new and different life, a life that's touched by God and delivered from sin, would you pray this along with us? Father in heaven, thank you for sending Yeshua to pay for our sins, to pay for my sins. And I claim him now as my savior. And I thank you that in Yeshua, I am completely forgiven. In Yeshua, I am given new life. In Yeshua, I receive the Holy Spirit. And Father, I ask by your grace and your mercy that I will live in the power of the Spirit, the life that you desire for me, a life full of abundance, a life full of goodness, a life full of the presence of God. For your honor and glory, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. We pray that would you let us know uh, one new man ministries international on facebook we're so glad you joined us happy new year and we'll see you again next week god be with you